Uh, today is Vision Sunday. Uh, if you're new to church, really that just means here, here's where we're going for the year. We want to give a little insight, set a direction uh, for what we believe God is calling us to this year. And so we're going to look at scripture to do that. And as I've been preparing and looking at scripture to do that this week, I kept on thinking about when I was in middle school, in the glory days of middle school football specifically. It'll make sense in a minute. But I, I was thinking about when I was in middle school, I was a receiver. And I don't know if you know much about football, but receivers early on, they don't really do much, right? Uh, they just kind of run out like they're doing something, but they're not. And they maybe block a little bit, uh, but not. And, and I was that guy. But one practice, I got to be a running back, right? And I began to see visions of Emmett Smith and Ezekiel Elliott, even though I didn't know he was coming at the time to deliver my cowboys, but I began to see the glory of that moment, and I was really excited. I get to be running back, and so we were doing this drill where you take the handoff, and you run as fast as you can in one direction, and you're one-on-one -on -one with a defender. And I was really excited until the moment who I, when I saw the defender across from me. I saw Paul Murphy. And you don't know Paul Murphy, but that's okay. I think every middle school has a Paul Murphy. Uh, the guy who's 14 but looks like he's 24. And, and I was so excited in that moment to be the running back, but I look across and I see Paul Murphy. And in that moment, I freaked out a little bit, but then I said, live the dream. And, and I ran as hard as I could up against Paul Murphy. And listen, I got clobbered, right? I got clobbered. And it was one of those moments where you pick yourself off. You try to act like you're okay and like just walk it off like it's not a big deal. But the coach is trying to talk to me, and I can't really talk yet because I can't really breathe yet, and I'm pulling this huge hunk of dirt and grass out of my helmet, like awkwardly, and other people have to come help me, hey, let me help you with that, poor guy, and they're helping me pull that chunk of grass out of my helmet, and I remember in that moment thinking this, I don't want to be a running back. <laughs> a receiver is fine. I, I'm okay with that. But you know what I think about today? Some of you know I love football, I love sports. You know what I think about today is I would just love to be a part of the game, right? I would just love to take that handoff. I'd love to be a part of a team. I'd love to maybe score a touchdown. I just love being a part of the game, right? And I'll tell you that because as we look at our topic for the day, as our passage, as our focus for the year, as we hone in on that, we're going to talk about something called discipleship. And discipleship, if you've been around the church, maybe you've heard make disciples, you've heard this word, maybe you're not really sure what that means, uh, but you know it's something we're supposed to be about as Christians. Well, as I, as I thought about and I prayed for our year, I thought we need to more formally, more intentionally focus on discipleship. We're going to flesh out what that does mean, what it means for us as a church in a few moments, but you need to know this, it can be an amazing thing, a grand thing, but it can also be a difficult thing. Right? If you just listened to what Mark read a little bit earlier, if you just looked at some of the words, Happy New Year, hate your family. Right? That's what Jesus said. Some of you are thinking, this was just on my list. I thought I was going to be encouraged. And, and the first thing that's read from Scripture is, hate your, your family. And he's talking about discipleship. So we're going to talk about what that means, so don't worry. We're going to talk about what that means, what that looks like for our lives and for our church. But you need to know it's this grand thing. The discipleship is God's way of involving us, letting us be a part of the game, letting us be a part of what the God of the universe is doing on the earth. It's a, an amazing thing, but it's a difficult thing. 
You're going to get hit. You're going to get hurt. There's sacrifice, and it's hard, right? And sometimes, maybe during the week, maybe not on Sunday, maybe right now we're singing songs and everything's great, but maybe on Wednesday you think, do I really want to do this? Like, this is hard. And so we're going to walk through that tension together. And so look at Luke chapter 14 with me. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open it. If you don't, there should be one near you, a hard black uh, Bible. You can also look on the screen. Uh, But it starts out with this. I want you to see the scene and the setting here. This great crowd is upon Jesus. And what's interesting as you look at the text with me is as he turns to the crowd, he doesn't do what I did just a few moments ago. Right? We have a decent crowd here this morning. And as Jesus has a crowd upon him, he doesn't do what I did a few moments ago. He doesn't say, hey, welcome. We're so glad you're here. We want to help you navigate this as easy as possible. In fact, if you'll just fill out this card, we'll let you know how to be part of this thing. And we just want to help as as much as we can. Jesus, as he has a crowd before him, he doesn't do that. What does he do? He says, look at the verse 26. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Isn't that crazy? I mean, Jesus doesn't welcome them. He warns them. This is what it's going to mean to be my disciple. Uh, You need to know that word disciple in the original language has this context of follow, uh, to be someone's pupil, to submit to a master. That it's not just about believing principles. It's about following a person. And so maybe some of you are new to church. Maybe this is a new thing for you, and you think, I need to change my life. I need to get better in life, and so I need to come to church, right? It's a religion. I can, I can help myself. I can, I can do better. I can be better. You need to know that the Christianity, that following Jesus, that being a disciple of Jesus has nothing to do with that. That what you are doing as a disciple of Jesus is you're submitting yourself to a person, to a relationship, and in the context of that relationship, God actually forms you and allows you to be more like Jesus. And so it's not just something where you attend, you believe. No, it's something you, you live. We say it in our mission statement as a church that we want to love Jesus, believe in Jesus. We want to love Jesus with all our heart, believe his principles, but it doesn't stop there, that that leads us to live like Jesus. And it doesn't stop there. It leads us to lead other people to Jesus as well. And that is the core of discipleship. That's what we're talking about this morning. And Jesus says, if we're going to do that, we have to hate our our family. That verse isn't on a coffee cup, right? I don't think it would fit. But even if it would, we wouldn't put that on a coffee cup. We We don't really love hearing about that when we think of Jesus, when we think of the Bible and Christianity. So why does Jesus say that? Well, you need some context. Jesus is still pretty popular at this moment. He had a lot of fans. He has a crowd, right? People are following along with Jesus. They like him. They've seen him perform crazy miracles. They've seen him heal people. They've seen him do incredible teachings. And they've been in awe of that. So some of them are following just for the show. Some of them are following for the next miracle or meal. And some of them are still following him as a crowd because they're still thinking in their mind, Messiah, Christ, this is the one who's going to overthrow the Roman government, and we're going to rule and reign with him. 
And so if you can imagine this, he has a crowd of people who are there for for many different reasons. And Jesus is going to lay out what it really means to know God and to follow him. And what I love about Jesus is he doesn't pull any punches. If you think about stuff you agree to, maybe all of you have an iPhone, I'm guessing, or, or something else, right? There, there's other phones, maybe. Uh, but, but sometimes on my iPhone, especially recently, they do all these updates, and they, they send me a, a, a message post on my screen that, like, do you want to update now or later, remind me later? And then you have to agree to this huge document on your phone that nobody reads, And so you click accept anyway because you're just trying to move on to Facebook. But you never really read, like, all the fine print. And so it's kind of scary. Let's just pause for a minute. It's kind of scary. None of us really know what we just agreed to. But you're in. Like, you're subscribed to Facebook forever. You're giving your life over. I have no idea what's involved in that. But it's all fine print. Jesus doesn't work that way, right? Jesus isn't fine print. He's front page. He lays out clearly what it means to follow him, what you're agreeing to, what comes with that. He doesn't pull any punches. Listen, what we have to do is is read it. I don't know what your New Year's resolutions are, but one of them should be to read the Bible, to read the, the print in the Bible, to read what comes along with following Jesus. Because so many times we just ascribe to what our culture says about following Jesus, what our church says, what I tell you, and you just say, well, i got to do this, and we have all these uh, presuppositions in our heads. We need to actually read it. It's on the front page. All you have to do is read it, and Jesus is loving enough to lay it out completely for us. And what he's doing when he says to hate your family if you're going to follow me, he's giving us a sharp contrast. He's letting you know right away, here's what it's going to take, and it's a sharp contrast to let us know that I need to be your first calling. I need to be your first calling. That I need to be your first calling even above and before your your family. And he's letting us know that in an extreme way because he's wanting you to see who he is and what he can accomplish in your life if you put him first. And so do we love our family? Yes. Read the rest of Scripture. Right, husbands should love their wives as Christ loves the church. We should train our children up in the Lord. Jesus says earlier, you love God, you love your neighbor. So Jesus is all about love. But, but what he's saying is you shouldn't love anyone or anything above me because I'm your first calling. And he points out the family, and it's kind of interesting because he doesn't say that you should hate sin He doesn't say that you should hate pleasure. He doesn't say you should hate some of the other things in your life. He points out the family specifically because he wants you to know that, yes, you can make an idol of sin and greed and lust and money and all these other things, but he gets at the heart of something that's this really good, right? We we love our family. Some of you even hear that, and you're like, my family is the most important thing about me. And so that's why Jesus talks about the family. is because he doesn't want to just talk about these bad things. Of course he's supposed to be first over those things. He wants to talk about these good things because the reality is an idol isn't just a bad thing that we worship instead of God. That an idol is a good thing that we put as ultimate before God. And it can even be something like our family. 
And listen, I, I have a family. I have a wife that I've been married to for 10 years. I, I love her with all my heart. I have three kids that I love. I would do anything for just over the holidays. Uh, my kids got bikes. I feel like it's a new era in our lives. It's totally changed everything. We're like a, a neighborhood family now. Uh, we have friends in the neighborhood. Our kids ride their bikes in the neighborhood. Just the other day, there's this uh, cul-de-sac, and there's this little trail behind the cul-de-sac, and we went across the trail, the new frontier, right? <laughs> and so it was just me. My wife wasn't with me. It was just me and my two kids on our bikes, like a, like a club. And, and funny that you mentioned club. I mentioned it, but we started a bike club, right? And so we started a bike club because my kids were a little nervous about riding their bikes, and they're still kind of learning. And we started a bike club because you got to start a bike club. And, and if you have a bike club, you got to have rules in the bike club. And so our first rule, as we sit in the cul-de-sac like a little gang posse, our first rule about bike club was you don't talk about bike club. <laughs> my kids didn't get that Fight Club reference. I don't know if you did, but Fight Club, it's a movie. Don't, maybe don't watch it. I don't know. Um, but we gave some rules, don't talk about bike club. They're like, Daddy, why? I'm like, just next rule. And the next rule was, uh, was no bike left behind, right? That if, if, if you feel like you can go a little faster, like, that's fine, but you always got to stay within, uh, within range of us. There's, there's no bike left behind. Well, listen, my, my four-year-old son rides a little slower than my seven-year-old daughter. Uh, he's got the training wheel, she doesn't, and she's getting really confident. And so she just goes off, goes down another street, and I'm just like, Neela, no, Neela, come back, like, come back, and she's just going, and I'm, like, glad that she's so confident, but, like, sad because she's leaving her family, and I'm, like, what's, what's, what's going to happen to her, and so we really catch up with her, and my four-year-old is, is the best thing ever, is riding his, his, his bike with his training wheels, and he's yelling out, no bike left behind, <laughs> Neela, no bike left behind. Because it was a rule, a bike club. And I'll tell you all that just to tell you, I'm a real person. I have kids, and we have a mic that just fell. It'll probably be okay. Uh, I have kids. I have a family. I love them very much. I'm not removed from that as a pastor, right? I, I love my family. It's a, it's a real thing. It's a struggle for me to put Jesus ahead of them. But listen, do you know how best I can love my family, my wife, and my kids? I can love Jesus more than them. You know how best I can put my family first? I can put Jesus first over and, and above them. Why? Listen, parents, listen. Spouses, listen. Friends, listen. The reason is because what is the, what is the best thing, what is the biggest thing that I, that I want for my kids, the thing I dream about as a follower of Jesus more than anything else? It's that they would grow up and all the other things in life that are good career, success, family, all the other things in life that are, that are bad, sin, pleasure, all the distractions that can cause them to stumble and lead to destruction, that all the good things and all the bad things, I want my kids to grow up to follow Jesus above all of those things. And so if I want them to follow Jesus above everything else, then the best way I can love them is follow Jesus above everything else. Even them. And so one of the things we do every night before we put my kids to bed is we, we say, who loves you more than, than we do? And they say, Jesus, because they know, right? And so the reason Jesus is making this stark contrast is because he wants to get to your heart. 
Like, is there anything above me? Because you need to know this. If you're still hanging on to, ah, but Tim, I don't know, like this promotion, this job, this career, my finances, my 401K, my security, you just don't understand, my kids. If you're still kind of hanging on to that, you need to know those things will, will fail you, Jesus won't. That Jesus can take all of your worship and your commitment and your life. Your, your kids can't. Your, your finances can't. Right? The stocks will ebb and flow. Jesus is consistent. He's constant. He has no shifting shadows, no variations. And so he can take all of your following, all of your worship, all of your love. He's the only one worthy of that. He's the only one that you should follow above everything else. He's your first calling. And as you think about that, as you process that, you need to know that all of your other callings won't go neglected. That in fact, all of your other priorities in your life will be more faithful and more effective if you put Jesus as first priority. Why? Because he set it up that way. Jesus says that another place in the Gospels, seek first the kingdom of God, and what happens? All these other things will be added unto you. Right? And so when you put Jesus in his first place, his preeminent place, when you follow him wholeheartedly above everything else, you'll start to teach your kids about Jesus. It's an amazing thing. You'll start to point your kids to Jesus. And as they're pointed to Jesus, they'll see, I need to obey Jesus. And that Jesus created everything. He set up the world. He set up life. He set up their future schooling. He set up their future job and relationships. That he wired all of that so as they follow the master, they figure out everything else. And so your kids are going to be okay. Everything else is going to be added to you. As you seek Jesus first and his kingdom, as he's your first calling above everything else, you begin to learn that scripture has a lot to say about finances. Right? And you begin to learn how I should handle my finances. That, that's a priority. It's important how we should steward what God's given us. But when you understand Jesus first, you see it's a fountainhead that everything flows from. Your finances, your relationships, that everything else flows from that, that he is your first calling. And so this morning, this year, as we start the new year collectively as a church, what are we putting above Jesus? Like functionally, as you think about your day, what are you putting above Jesus? As you get out the papers and plan your New Year's resolutions, what lens are you flipping on? Is it a lens of security and comfort? Or is it your calling from Jesus to follow him with all that you have. And then every other page in your resolu resolutions, every other part of that list flows from that. That's where we need to go as a church. And so listen, practically that means several things. One, as I say that, that sounds really extreme and really lofty. And some of you are thinking, Tim, I don't know if I can do that. You need to know it's a process over a destination. That many times when we think about being a disciple of Jesus, we think, one day, maybe I'll get there. That maybe some other people, they, they're already there. That it's a bar that we have to reach. You need to know it's a process that you need to begin. And that you can begin it today. That you can look at your life and say, maybe I have just beliefs and principles about Jesus instead of following Jesus. That maybe I put some things in front of him. Let me shuffle the deck. Let me move some things around. That it's a process you need to begin. 
And that's what Jesus gets at in this next part of the passage. He talks about that if it's our first calling, it's also our greatest commitment. And he fleshes out how we start this process. So you need to know this morning, you can start the process. It's not too late. You're not too far gone. You can start the process. He tells us what that looks like. Look at verse 27 with me. Verse 27 says this. He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. As you continue to look at those verses, some things should stand out. Bear your own cross. Count the cost. Three times in this passage, Jesus says, if you will not do this, you cannot be my disciple. If you will not do this, you cannot be my disciple. If you will not do this, you cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, he says, if you don't renounce all things, you cannot be my disciple. Again, he continues to tell us this is a really big deal, what it means to follow me. And he says you need to bear your own cross. You need to count the cost. You need to renounce everything that you have or you can't really follow me. And as we look at bear our cross, count the cost, he gives us two illustrations of building a tower and going to war. And what he's getting at is commitment. I don't know if you've grown up in the church, maybe you've heard like just, hey, say a prayer, walk an aisle. Hey, just show up on a Sunday, we'll we'll cater to you, we'll do everything else. And you've never understood this idea of commitment, that you're sitting back and you're thinking what it means to follow the God of the universe. There's commitment associated with that. And so Jesus is showing us, it's like if you built a tower. You'd want to sit back and think, do we have enough supplies? Do we have enough people that can do this? You would want to commit wholeheartedly and fully to that because that's a big deal to build a tower. It's like going to war. You want to see how many people do they have? How many people do do we have? What is our strategy? You want to commit to that. I think Billy Graham said salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything. It's a commitment, right? And so, yes, you can say a prayer and meet Jesus and be fully known by Jesus in an instant, but the Christian life, the life of a disciple lasts a lifetime, right? It's a process, It's a commitment, and Jesus is getting at that, and the way he gets at that is using the symbol of a cross. Now, that may not strike us like it did the original audience. We see crosses on on, uh, churches. We see crosses on necklaces. We have crosses tattooed on our arms. Whether we know Jesus or not, we see it as a symbol, and we think it's a symbol of love, Christianity, and maybe church or something like that. But you need to know, as Jesus uses this language in this passage to this audience, that the cross was a symbol of death, of torture. And when he says, bear up your cross, or carry your cross, what he's showing them, what the imagery he's giving them is walking up a hill with your cross ready to die. And Jesus isn't talking about dying Physically, not for them. He's talking about dying to your, yourself. We see it in other places like Luke 9. He says to take up your cross daily and follow me. And Jesus is getting at your commitment is that you would die to yourself. What does that mean? You give up control. You trust God's word over your words. That even as we read a passage like this that's really tough to read, that you trust his opinion over your opinion. Right? That you trust his logic over your logic. Not blindly, 
You study it, you go on a journey to read the front pages of Scripture, the blatant uh, call on your life. You, you read that, you study that, you get with other people to do that. So you don't just do it blindly, but ultimately you trust his words over your words. So you make his priorities your priorities. You see and you put on the lens that he has on. You align your heart and mind with his. He is your greatest commitment and you die to yourself. A.W. Tozer said this, a theologian. He said, in every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on a cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. You see, the Christian life is one of sacrifice. That as we wake up for our day, we're just naturally on our throne. Right? Maybe even with a new year and you think, yeah, God first, I am second, whatever cliche that you know. Maybe you, you thought that. But then the next moment you say, I need coffee. The next moment you say, I, I need to work out. The next moment when you wake up in the morning and you think I should look at scripture, you say, I need to check that, that email. And we immediately put other stuff in front, and that's us sitting on the throne. And Jesus is saying, you need to die to yourself so I can be in my proper place, which is on the throne. The Christian life is one of sacrifice. We renounce or forsake or surrender all other things so we can commit to Jesus. That's what verse 33 says. We renounce everything else. And it's not that you can't have money or things or success. It's that you can't have those things above Jesus. They can't be on your throne, even your family. Why? Because that's Jesus' seat, right? And so we need to move some things off that seat. We need to die to ourselves, bear our cross, so that we can have Jesus as our greatest commitment. I think of the rich man in Mark chapter 10. He comes to Jesus and says, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, let me tell you some things and just really one important thing you need to go do. You need to sell everything and give to the poor. Then you can follow me. Then you can have eternal life. What happens in that story? It says the man walked away sad because he had great possessions. Listen, the stumbling block for most of us in this room, however wealthy you are uh, with money, you're wealthy in some other ways in life, right? You have great possessions, some things that you hold really dear. And I think the, the biggest obstacle for, for most of us making Jesus our greatest commitment this year and every year is we believe that the things we're holding on to, the things that are currently on the throne, are greater than Jesus. I think about marriage. We're doing premarital counseling with two couples right now, and so it's, it's really bringing to light for us like what marriage is again and our marriage, and it always does that. I love doing premarital counseling for that. But as we talk to these two couples, we're taking them through a workbook, and we're talking about that marriage is sacrifice, that marriage is surrender. And we're looking at things like in-laws and conflict and communication and sex and finances, and what we're saying to them is that when you get married, that it's a, it's a wedding, but it's also a funeral. That the single you dies. That there is now sacrifice for another person, right? The two become one. And we find ourselves working through this as we talk about the in-laws and the finances and the conflict and the communication. And, and, and over and over and over, it's this sacrifice. 
sacrifice. You have to think about her needs above your needs and vice versa. You have to think about what you do. You can't just do whatever you want anymore. You can't just go out with the guys and hang out till 2 o'clock in the morning. Right? You have to talk to your wife and you have to ask her first. Right? Men, amen? So we keep talking about sacrifice, 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 and it never fails every time I do this. I, I, I think, why are we telling them to do this? Right, Janet? Why, why are we not saying stop? Cancel the wedding. It's way too expensive anyway. Don't do it. It's too much sacrifice. Why? Like, why do we tell the guy, like, yeah, you're going to go against everything you've done before. You're not going to come home and just watch Sports Center and eat chips. If you think you're going to do that, you're not going to do that. You're going to come home and you're going to sit on the couch. You're going to have to talk about your day. And just saying good isn't going to cut it anymore. Like, she's going to want details, 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 and you got to give those details. And when she gives you the details, you have to listen, and you have to listen with your full face. And you have to respond with something intellectually helpful. That that's what you're going to be called to, that you have to sacrifice these other things to commit to this person. That as you look at your wife, you're going to have throw pillows. And I still don't understand what those are for. But you got to go buy them, and you got to save some money and, and, and not spend money on other things. So you can buy the throw pillows and, and, and talk about things like rom-com and, and semi-annual sale. you got to do all those things, that it's a sacrifice to the day you die. So why? Why do it? Because she is, is better, right? That the reason we don't stop premarital counseling right there and say stop everything is because she's better, because he's better, because all the sacrifices pale in comparison to that other person. That there is cost, but the benefits greatly outweigh the cost. Listen, that is marriage to another sinful human being. We're talking about following the perfect son of God. That you get to have a relationship with the God of the universe. There's nothing greater, there's nothing better than that. And so is there cost? Absolutely. Jesus is up front. There's no fine print. There's cost. You need to count the cost. It's going to take a lot of sacrifice. It's going to be hard. You're going to get hit. It's going to hurt. But it's worth it because why? He is better. That what the rich man didn't see, his possessions weren't great, not compared to Jesus. That whatever you're holding on to, whatever you're holding back, and like, I, I don't know, this guy seems really excited, but I, I don't know if I can go there. I mean, I just came to church today, and just give me my lunch, and let's go. If you're holding on to some things, you need to know they'll always fail in comparison to Jesus. Why? Because he's, he's better. He deserves our greatest commitment. Two reasons. There's lots of them. I just gave some of them. But two reasons. He rewards us. In Luke 9, a very similar passage prior to this one, Jesus talks about similar things. Take up your cross daily. And he says this next. He says, if you want to lose your life, then you, you follow me and you'll save it. If you want to save your life, then you'll lose your life. That word life in the original language is talking about your will, your ambitions, your desires, everything that most likely you're trying to hold on to in your life, that with Jesus, once you make him your greatest commitment, that you get all those things as you were designed to, that he is your reward, that your reward is here and in heaven. You, 
you follow Jesus, he's better because he is your reward. And the second thing is that you get to be a part of what he's doing. You get to be in the game. As we think about all the sacrifices in the Christian life, all the times that are hard, all the cost to you, all the times you get hit and, and spiritually you got some grass stuck in your helmet and you need somebody else to come pull it out and it's awkward, that all those times that when you really consider the greatest commitment of what it means to be a part of the God of the universe, this story that he started in Genesis, this redemptive plan that you get to not just watch from the sidelines but be a part of, that, that you realize that, you just, you're glad you're a part of the game, right? You're glad that, that someone's handing you the ball in the story of God reconciling humanity to himself, you get to be a part of the game. And so, yeah, you get hit, but who cares? It's worth it because he's better, because he's your reward, and you get to be a part of what he's doing. Listen, the most amazing thing about this, and if you don't know Jesus, you need to, you need to look up, you need to wake up and listen to me now, is that as we look at the Bible, we see that sin invades our world, it invades our lives, and that we violate God's will, we violate God's law, and that he has every right to put us to the side, to walk away, to say, you are going to sit on the sidelines. And we see that in sports today, just to continue with the football analogy. Right, we see players get suspended when they violate the rules, right? They can't show up to practice. They can't be in the game any longer. They have to watch from the sidelines. You need to know that's what we deserve, like in the economy of God, in the scope of God, in the story of God, we deserve, because of our sin that's invaded our lives, that's invaded our world, we deserve to watch from the sidelines. But Jesus comes. He dies in our place for our sin. He rises. He defeats our sin and ascends on high, gives us his Holy Spirit so that you could be in the game. That even though you violated God's law, you should be sitting on the sidelines, he hands you the ball. He says, go make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. He empowers, he equips you to be a part of what he's doing. And so I don't know how you walk in here. Maybe you think this is for some other people that have lived clean lives, that dress nice, that ascribe to a religion. You need to know that the only reason we get to be a part of what Jesus is doing is because he died on our behalf, because he paid the biggest cost in all of history for us. And he says, go out there and play in this game. I'm going to be with you and for you forever. And so we give up other things because Jesus is, is better. He's our reward, and we get to be a part of what he's doing, of no merit of our own. And so he's worth that commitment. Uh, so we need a plan to sacrifice. You need a plan to sacrifice. As we think about commitment, what it takes to build the tower, what it takes to go to war, you need a plan to sacrifice because here's what I know about us, that we will serve, give, invest into other people. We'll follow Jesus, be his pupil, submit to him as master, help others do, this, do the same. That's discipleship. We'll do that in abundance, but we often don't do it in, in sacrifice. That we think, even now, maybe you're off to a fresh start. The flip of a calendar has brought some hope. And you think, yeah, if we can get our finances ordered, I think we can start giving to the church. Like, when we have an abundance, I think we'll, we'll give. 
when we get our, our schedules sorted out and we, we, we quit working this side job or, or, or our papers aren't due, we get in a good rhythm in the year, like then we'll, we'll serve in a church, we'll really get involved, we'll really plug in to the life of the church and, and follow Jesus and see what that means and how it affects our neighbors and our job and everything else and how we can impart and help other people follow Jesus as well. Like when we have an abundance, we'll do that. But the first thing that goes wrong the first thing that's inconvenient, we abandon that and we say, I got to take care of me. These other commitments, they've become greater now. And listen, we had that this morning at church. I, I don't know if you know this, and, and maybe I shouldn't point it out to you, but our lights don't work. Right? We have light trees, we set up and tear down, and it was incredibly frustrating. There was a couple other things that just broke this morning. And I began to think about all these things as, as greater than Jesus. Like, well, if you don't have lights, how can we worship God? I mean, it's just impossible. And so I, I do that too, and I get caught up in other things too, because in abundance we think, I'll worship God, the lights are on, the music is set, we got a cool uh, a show up here for you guys, and then we can worship God. I'll worship God in abundance, but sacrifice, ah, that's inconvenient. That's uncomfortable. Listen, you need to plan for sacrifice, because following Jesus is sacrifice. He tells you, it's, it's not a bait and switch. He tells you up front, you're going to have to sacrifice. Count the cost. Imagine what would happen in your life, in your family's life, if when you planned out your New Year's resolutions, you said, hey, I, I know this week is going to be tough. I, I know there's going to be some things that we have even no clue about, sickness, sin, and strife that are going to enter our lives. But this is what we are going to commit to. This is how much we are going to give. This is how much we are going to serve. This is how we are going to invest into people in our lives. This is how we are going to invite that neighbor over for dinner. We're going to plan that. We're going to plan to do this, to be disciples of Jesus, to disciple other people through sacrifice. What if you made that commitment? Because listen, everything will break. Like one day, one week, at some point this year, everything will break. What if you planned now? This is going to be my greatest commitment. We won't waver on this as our greatest commitment. Why? Because he's worth it. That you would plan to live not just in abundance, but in sacrifice. And so, listen, there's lots of things we could focus on as a church. Like we could try to fix the lights. We'll do that. We could try to buy a building. Pray, keep praying. Live the dream. One day, it's going to happen, right? There's lots of things we could focus on. Unity. There's lots of things we could focus on. Programs, a youth ministry. Lots of things we could focus on. But as I prayed about our church, as I talked to some of you over the last couple months, I just thought, man, as we go into this next year, we're a new church, just a couple years old. The best thing we can focus on is this is discipleship, that our definition of that, just to help you if, you if you're confused at all, that it would be that we become fully devoted followers of Jesus, as he describes, and that we help others do the same. That if we did that as a church, year three as a church, 2017, individually, if we all counted the cost, if we made him our first calling and our greatest commitment, if we did that, I think all those other priorities, the lights, the, the buildings, the, the church growth, the Everything else, the programs, I think they would take care of themselves. Not that we won't think about those things, but I think we want to specialize in this. And so here, here's what that looks like. Just a few ways. I'm going to roll through them really quickly. The, the first way is, is that we want to equip you 
to do this. This is hard, right? And so we want to equip you as a church. Uh, several ways we're going to do that. One is that Pray First series that's coming up next week. Uh, right after that, we're going to go through the book of Nehemiah. Uh, this Pray First series is really important. I'm really excited about it. Uh, a few reasons why is uh, a lot of you helped write a prayer guide uh, that we're going to go through. And so I'm reading all those prayers right now. We're going to give those out to everybody in our church over the next couple of weeks. And we're going to ask you, invite you to pray these prayers Monday through Friday during the week. And our church is learning from our church. It's really special. I really am glad that we're doing that, excited about that. In the midst of that as well, we're going to ask you to, to fast from something. That if we want Jesus to be our, our greatest, our first calling, the reality is we have to give up some other things. We have to sacrifice. We're going to live this passage out next week, starting next week. So you can fast from food once a day. You can fast from social media. You can fast from something else. Whatever is holding on to you that you need to let go of so you can follow Jesus more fully and help others do the same, that's discipleship. So I'm really excited about this next series. What I would invite you to do is attend every Sunday, to get one of these packets, to read it every day, and attend every Sunday in this series. Statistics show that people attend church maybe once or twice a month, I think. What if we just made this our greatest commitment and just said in this series, we're going to pray first, everything else is going to be second, we're going to make God our first calling and fast from other things that you would attend every Sunday and participate in this with us, and then we're going to get into the book of Nehemiah. The second thing we're going to do is a discipleship journey or a discipleship course. You'll be hearing more about that. We're going to talk specifically what does it mean practically to be a disciple, what are all the things Jesus calls us to that we should obey how should we become more like Jesus as individuals and the body? We're going to take you guys through that. Another thing we're going to do is Financial Peace University. Ron and Nancy Groth lead that in our church. It starts in two weeks. You can still register for that to see how God is first, even in your money. Uh, we have a parenting conference that we're going to attend together next week to see how do we parent in light of what God has done for us and in light of God being first in our life. And so we're going to equip you as we want to see discipleship in our church. The second thing is we're going to connect you. And so we have our first membership class in February. Uh, some of you are new to the church and you're like, maybe I've missed the boat. Maybe there's already an in crowd. Uh, maybe there is, uh, but not officially. Uh, we're going to have our first membership class. This is the best time ever to come to our church and to get involved and get connected and, and belong to a family, not just attend a church. And so we're going to have our first membership class in the month of February. We're going to do a community groups revamp. We've been in the process for doing that over the last couple of months of saying, what are marks of, of health that we want all our community groups to have? What are some processes to help these guys? We're having a big training at the end of the month. If you're a leader, we want you to be at that. It's at my house. We're going to talk about revamping our community groups to help more people connect to what Jesus is doing and discipleship as well. The last thing that we want to see you contribute as we, as we talk about our church, the vision of our church is we talk about love moves, and we want to see the love of Jesus move us from a place of consuming to connecting and contributing. So that's where this comes from. And so as we think about our church, maybe this will help you. We want to see not a buffet, but family style, right? Have you had a family style dinner? Maybe that was me just growing up in Texas. Have you been to a buffet? All right, there's a difference, Right? Buffet, you go up, you say, I want the steak, I want the shrimp, I want this other gravy stuff to put all over that, and, and you just get what you want and you go sit down, right? Family style is different, right? Family style, you make the food at home. 
You look at a recipe, you give it your best shot, and you take it, and you wrap it, and you bring it to the table together. That's what we want our church to be. That's discipleship, is that we're all contributing to this thing. It's not a buffet where you come and you think, I like the music. I, I kind of like the preaching. I, I, can we have this program? And you just take and you consume. That's a pale, uh, sorry version of the church. Uh, we want to be family style where you, you bring something to the table. God has equipped you. He's invited you to play in the game. Let's take advantage of that. Let's be his disciples and everything that that means in the church, let's bring it to the table. Some few, few things that means and possibilities for you to do that. Our monthly serve through Unite Phoenix, we'll announce that at the end if you don't know what that is. Uh, we are actually hosting a mission trip for about 60 to 80 high school students from Amarillo, Texas. I'll, I'll tell you the story later. It's a crazy story. A guy found out about our church and supports our church, connected us with our youth group, and was like, will you host 60 students? And I was like, lack of better judgment day, right? I was like, yes, well, sure, why not? Uh, we'll host 60 students. And so we're going to put those guys to work, canvas the neighborhood, do all sorts of things for some of the kids in this area uh, who don't have a lot. Uh, and we're going to host that mission trip. You guys can contribute in that way. It's coming up in March. Really excited about that. Uh, invite, invest. This is just the regular rhythm that you would invest. You would contribute financially to see more discipleship happen. You would invite you would invite people in your life, in our church, to on Sundays. You would serve on Sundays. That people in your life who don't have a church home, maybe who don't even know Jesus, that you would say, hey, you, you should come with me. Maybe just start with your house. You should come over to our house. You didn't know the way we planted this church, our thoughts for this church, the way I preach every Sunday, hopefully you hear it, is I talk a lot about maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're here and you didn't grow up in the church. I do that on purpose because I want there to be some people in here who don't know Jesus and who didn't grow up in the church. And so you can be confident that if you invite your friends, we're going to talk to them. We're going to note that, that, hey, we're thinking about you, and we want to help you get from here to here. And so we would invite and we would invest, that we would experience discipleship. These are just some of the ways that we have planned my hope, my prayer is that you would get involved in this. And so the last thing as we close is, is how do we live this out? How do we have discipleship as our first calling, our greatest commitment? Just two simple things just to summarize our time. The first thing is know it's more of a process than a destination. Just read the Gospels. Look at the disciples, the first disciples of Jesus, the first followers of Jesus. That many of them didn't get an opportunity to teach till way later on. That many of them just watched, they shadowed Jesus and watched what he did and learned what he did and began to put that in place in their lives. It's a process over a destination. Start the process, right? Start the process today. The second thing is plan for abundance and sacrifice. You need to know today, there is a cost of following Jesus, right? We just went through it. There's a cost. There's a sacrifice. Why do we do it? It's because he's better, because he allows us to participate in what he's doing. The God of the universe you need to know there's also a cost if you, if you don't follow Jesus. You see, I, I realize as we close our time together that there's a few options for us this morning. That some of you can think, maybe one day I'll do that. Maybe one day in abundance, I'll follow Jesus, I'll help others do the same. Maybe some of you are thinking like, well, maybe kind of, I'm kind of feeling this a little bit, maybe almost. You need to know if you choose one day, if you choose almost, there's a cost associated with that too. That the meaning, the joy that you can have in knowing Jesus, you'll never find. Because this is what he's designed you for. 
And so listen, the cost of following Jesus, the benefit greatly outweighs that cost. The cost of the other options, one day, someday, almost, maybe, there's a much greater cost. A life devoid of meaning, of purpose, of sustainable joy. Listen, don't let that be your cost this year. As we look at our church, all the things that we want to accomplish, let's take the cost of sacrifice that Jesus lays out so that we get a better reward in him. So that we get to see him do amazing, mighty things through us in our city, for his glory, and for our joy. Would you partner with me? Would you participate in that with me? Would you take a step with me this morning as we respond to Jesus? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your vision for this church, to see us become fully devoted followers of Jesus, to help others do the same. God, I know as we respond in this moment, there's men and women here who are following you, Maybe not perfectly, but they're fully devoted followers of you. And God, I pray that in this moment, they would think about how can we look around the room and help others do that as well? How can we get coffee and invite them to group and get together to study scripture? And that, yeah, we may have to move some scheduling around and may have to communicate and and do all those things, but it's worth it. God, I pray that we would begin to practically put those things in our lives today. We wouldn't wait for the Pray First series or for our church to facilitate this for us. We would begin today to invite, to invest in the relationships that you have given us, that we would make you our first calling, our greatest commitment, because you're worth it. You're better. God, I just, I get excited because I just think, what would you do with us if we did that? How would you mold us? What kind of joy would we receive if we lived that way? If all of the people in this room locked arms to live that way, if 2017 was defined by discipleship, God, I pray that you would help us to see what that would look like, that you would empower us and you would equip us in this moment to live like that. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.